0: It's serious. Today we're kicking off a new series called Red Letter Day, and we're going to be looking at the sayings of Jesus at these moments of crucifixion, some of the things he said, and how it applies to us. Now, there's actually seven of them. We're going to cover three of them as we head into Easter. We'll talk about the others as well. But today we want to kick off this series and and, and look at the phrase where Jesus says, My God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? Anyone ever felt like God has forgotten about you? You ever felt that way? Like, God, where are you? Maybe something occurred or maybe there's something going on and you're like, God, where are you at? Like, are you even on the scene? And so we're gonna jump into this today. Matthew chapter 27, verse 37 through 43. You can follow along on the screens or if you can have your Bible. If you have your Bible, you can follow along there. Matthew 27, verse 37, it says, Above Jesus' head, They placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, listen to what they said. Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are The Son of God. Let me rewind a little bit because if you remember when Jesus was led into the wilderness for 40 days, he was tempted three different times, and each time he was tempted, it sounded like this If you really are the Son of God, Do this. And here's another place where even though it's insults being thrown at him, it's actually another temptation. And they're saying, if you really are the son of God, then come down from the cross. In other words, come down and save yourself. Verse 41 says, in the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders, they mocked him. Now, these are the religious leaders. They're mocking Jesus. And this is what they said. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. Saying, if you will do this, if you will fall for this temptation, then I'll really believe who you are. And in verse 43 says, he trusts in God. He trusts. He trusts. That's really, really a strong statement that they recognize that he trusts in God. Because that word trust means to, to be convinced. That means that he truly relied on. He had this inward certainty, this confidence. He had this complete trust, and they recognized it. And they said, look, let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Now, a lot of times whenever we get to the time of Easter, we're, we're, we're pretty caught up on the story of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And then he was dead for three days, and then later he rose from the dead, and that's why we have the Easter story. But there's a lot of significance in the events and all of the things that were happening as Jesus was crucified. And today we're going to start taking a look at some of these things because I believe that they apply to our life. So let's keep reading Matthew 27, verse 45. It says, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Anybody want to take a shot at at pronouncing these words? You know, what's cool is I can say it anyway, and you would think it was right. Eloi, Eloi, (laughs) lama sabachthani. Is that all right? That's what we're going to go with, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I don't know about you, but when I read that, even when I hear myself say it, I feel the weight of it. Like to say to the father, why have you forsaken me? Can you imagine looking at a family member and saying something like that? Not in a moment of anger, but in a moment of desperation. I'm not talking about you're fighting with your spouse. I'm talking about you're in such a moment of agony and pain that you literally feel like, why have you forsaken me and you see you can sense just the urgency and the pain in this so I just want to pray as we jump into this message today and I, I really pray in that, that that today as we share this message we see the reality of who Jesus is amen and what he really really means to us so let's pray Lord thank you for our, our time to gather today as we share these messages about you dying on the cross and Lord I, I just pray that that as we share this, that our eyes will be open to the reality of who you are in our everyday lives. Father, that we won't just recognize Jesus as a person of history, but we will, we will understand the personal relationship with the one who gave his life for us, who paid for our sins. And so, Lord, today I'm praying that our hearts will be open to hear this message and receive the truth, Father, that will change us, that will set us free. Lord, help me today to communicate it. In your way, to say it with your tone, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Today, starting this new series, Red Letter Day, looking at some of the things that Jesus said while he was being crucified, and as we're starting, just talking about why have you forsaken me? Why? That's such a strong word. Why? Why is this happening to me? Why did you do that? Or you ever had a a, a three-year-old, two-year-olds, they hadn't got there yet, but a three-year-old who just says, why? Go do this. Why? Because I said, why? And that little game that can go on for about five, ten minutes, the why, the whys are just so strong and they can just really, really change the mood, change the tone. But being in the place where we're asking, why is this happening to me? There are moments where I look over my life and I, I feel pretty good about myself. You know, I'm a 43-year-old young man and I, I feel like I'm doing all right. But there are moments where I look at myself as a 43-year-old young man and I say, what in the world have I gotten myself into? Am I, anybody know what I'm talking about? And why is this happening in my life like this? I thought it would be better. And thank God I got some good moments or else these bad moments would turn me into somebody I do not want to be. But there are some moments where we're asking why. And sometimes in those why moments where we're trying to figure out how did we get here or why is it like this or why does my kid do that or why does my spouse do that or why do people treat me like this in the middle of all these whys. It is a wondering, where are you at, Lord? Like, where are you at? Because we have this whole thing like, formulized in our mind that if God really was who he said he was, then these kinds of things wouldn't happen. Am I right? I've had friends, I've had people come to me through the years and saying, if God was really good, why does he let bad things happen to people? And if God was really good, why did that happen to you? One of the more significant events that happened in in our life, I remember um, our car was stolen out of our driveway. And it was like, what in the world is going on? I had a mixture of emotions. I mean, listen, I need you to know that when you are looking in the refrigerator for your stolen car, you're not in a good place. I looked in the fridge, I was looking in boxes in the garage. And, and my son Judith was like, Dad, what are you doing? I'm looking for the car, son, leave me alone. And he said, you don't actually think the car would fit in the fridge, do you? But it's just that moment where you just feel like you have to do something. And you're just looking everywhere. And I can remember in the aftermath of that. God, why did you let this happen to us? We were in such a good place. Like, I need you to hear this. We were in such a good place. Everything was going so well. You're supposed to be our protector. You're supposed to watch over all of our stuff. Why? Why? Did you let this happen? And I had all kinds of ideas. Let's sell the house and let's move away from this place. Like it was the house's fault that this happened. Like and, and, and it's because we live down the street from a police officer. Like all these irrational thoughts that are coming into our mind of why this was happening. And it was completely oblivious. All this stuff was oblivious to the reality that someone just made a wicked decision to do something that affected me. That's all it was. But the the emotional state that it put me in caused me to question things that at one time I was so confident about. I was so confident about. Like when we bought that house, I knew that was the place that God wanted us to be. But one thing happens and it's like, why, God, this must not be where God wanted us to go. And all of the emotions starts bringing confusion and erases all the clarity. Are you grabbing this today? And it puts us in this very vulnerable state. God, why? And I just wonder if there's anyone here today that's ever been in that place. God, Why do I have this type of sickness? Why does my child struggle with this? Why? And we can keep making all these questions and listing them all. And we want to know the reason. Like we really, really want to know the reason. And I think it's really, really hard to see the reason when we're enduring some really, really hard times. And so we come up with some really, really, really unique answers. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of times our friends give them to us and we don't even know if they're good or if they're really true or if they're legit or not, but we just kind of receive it. And then when somebody else is going through it, we just kind of pass it on. You know what I'm saying? We don't know if it's good, but we heard it enough that we feel like that's what you say to people in that moment. And so here's some of the things. You know, it's not your fault. That's one of the things. Well, it could be. Like, if we didn't lock the doors, it could be our fault. I mean, get it. We locked the doors. But if we didn't, come on, lock your doors. PSA, lock your doors. Just saying. You say, well, I live out in the country. Lock your doors. Here's another one. It's all your fault. Boy, that's two extremes. I never really had somebody come up to me and say, you know how this happened? It's all your fault. That's a little too direct. I need some of those friends in our lives, though. Am I right? We probably do. We don't like it because we would rather be encouraged than held accountable. Boy, that was a strong one. Okay. Here's another one. Here's another one. It's Satan's fault. The devil. The devil made me do it, mama. It's the devil. Listen, no doubt there is a Satan, and he can influence people to do some pretty wicked things. But that's one of our go-tos, am I right? Because we're looking for a reason. Then there's the other side of it where people would say it's God's fault. It's all God's fault. Or here's another one. This makes it sound prettier. Same avenue. Must be God's will. Am I right? Somebody going through something tragic, and they just come up to you and just say, must be God's will. If I'm ever in a really, really tough situation, and you come to see me, don't come and tell me it must be God's will, because the next week when I preach, I cannot promise you that it's going to be the most encouraging. <laughs> it's probably going to be very corrective. Okay, just saying. But these are some very, very easy answers for some really, really, really hard times. And we don't know because when you look at that, you probably thought all of those whenever you were in some really, really tough situations. Am I right? There's that moment where you're just feeling really, really uh, sorry for yourself. Like, it's all my fault. We got here, it's all my fault. That's why everything, it's my fault that the kid has this illness. It's all my fault. If I hadn't done this and I would have done this and we would have drank this kind of water instead of that kind of water, we wouldn't even be going through this right now. If I wouldn't have let him eat that hamburger that one time, like all of these different things. If we had done this, this wouldn't happen to us. And no doubt, there's, there's wisdom and preparation. But if we're in the place, watch this, if we're in the place that we think that we're in control of it all, we set ourselves up for these exact kind of moments where there is no answer. You ever done that before? Like we do it, we, we set ourselves up for it because we have to be in control. Now let me throw a verse that just really, really, really addresses that. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. In other words, I don't think like you do. You have a whole nother level of thinking. Can I tell you, we are not on the same level of thinking that God is. We are some smart people. Look at your neighbor and say, I think you're pretty smart. Look at your other neighbor and say, never mind. (laughs) We're not on the same level of thinking that God is. You may be educated, but you didn't create all of this. Amen. You're just interpreting from what you see. He's got the blueprint. Okay. So he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways. My ways declares the Lord. In other words, your ways of thinking, your ways of doing this isn't the way I rolled it all out, isn't the way I do it. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Higher. Years ago, Cynthia and I went to Asheville, North Carolina, went to the Biltmore. You ever been to the Biltmore? That's a pretty bougie place. It is really, really nice. The technology for that time was amazing. I was so impressed. I mean, they had underwater lighting in a swimming pool in the early 1900s. Somebody had it going on. And when you hear the story and you see it all, it's pretty amazing. And so while we were at the Biltmore with the headset on and the Walkman, you know, they have it all timed out. Now it's all fixed up. Back then it was just a K-set tape, okay? It's the proper pronunciation Of the word. Someone told us, have you been to Chimney Rock yet? We said, no, we've never even heard of Chimney Rock. They said, oh, if you're anywhere near Asheville, you need to go to Chimney Rock. And I'm not trying to do a commercial for Chimney Rock. All I know is when we went to Chimney Rock, we saw five different states from one spot. Five different states from one spot. That's a pretty good spot to be in. If I'm on the ground, I can't see all of that. When I was at the Biltmore, I only saw like one house, like one room. I mean, this thing was massive. But when I went up to a higher level, I was able to see so much more that I couldn't see. Because I was at a higher level. And so many times in our situations, because we're boots on the ground, we can't see everything. We can't see that there's actually a clearing just on the other side of that, that whole patch of woods. We can't see it. But we just feel like this is it. We're never getting anywhere. We're never going to make it through this. Well, it's just a little patch that we got to make it through. And had we been able to see a higher perspective, we would realize we're going to make it through this. We're going to make it through. And God's just trying to get the point across. Listen, my perspective, my, my, what I see, I'm up here, man. And I see things you don't see. You think it's so hard. I'm just saying, you're so close. You feel so overwhelmed. I'm just trying to get you to see you're almost past it. You're almost through. And I think so many times we get so close, but because of our lack of patience, I strong. Because of our fears and our worries, we stop and we retreat. And here's why. Because we've never been that far before. Watch this. It sounds like this. I've never seen that before. His ways are higher and God wants to show you what he has for you. But in order to see it, watch this, you got to trust. You trust and then you see we want to see and then believe. He says, no, believe. And then you see. So I feel like what we need to do here is we need to look at this from the perspective of the father. Because if you're not careful, you can look at this story and just say, God forgot about his only son. He's a terrible father. Am I right? Like, think of this. In his most vulnerable moment, God turned his head and looked away. And it would be easy to think if God would do that to his only begotten son who lived his life on this earth perfectly, for sure he's looking the other way from me because God knows I'm not perfect. It's important that we see the father's part of the story. How could he say, how could Jesus be in the place of God? Why have you forsaken me? How could he do that? There's more to the story. Let me show you this today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, put the verse before you put the point, okay? Don't put the point yet because I, I want to share the verse. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, say in him, we might become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So watch this. Here's the first point. The father forsook Jesus. I don't really like how that word's spelled, by the way. Forsook. That just doesn't seem right. Anyway, I'm a little OCD with the spelling. Y'all pray for me. The father forsook Jesus because Jesus became sin. God's like, I can't look at you. Because of who you have become. You have become sin and therefore I can't look at you. Now, before you get all critical of God, there's some things you have to understand. And I wanted to stir some controversy with this. Here's the first thing. God is holy and will not tolerate sin. Amen? This ain't hellfire and brimstone. This is truth. God is holy and will not tolerate sin. Here's the second thing. God is just and will judge sin where it's found. Okay? So far, you're sitting there saying, this is harsh. This is truth. This isn't harsh. This is truth. That there is really sin in our lives. Amen? Any sinners in the house today? Any saints in the house today? Some of you, you couldn't raise your hand for the second one. But if you're in Christ, you are a saint. Now, I know you were thinking football and all that stuff, and you thought I was trying to pull a fast one on you. I like messing with you. God is holy and will not tolerate sin. God is just and will judge sin where it is found. And if we stop right there, we just paint the picture of an angry God. But we're not finished. Because God is love, and watch this, he devised a way that justice would be satisfied and forgiveness could be made available. Aren't you so thankful that we shared this last point, that God is love? Yes, he is just. He he is God, he is holy, he is pure, he is just, but we cannot forget that God is also love. So watch this, he forsakes Jesus because he becomes sin. Why does that happen? In the book of Habakkuk or Habakkuk, however you want to say, Chewbacca, it doesn't matter. Chapter one, verse 13. God's eyes are too pure to look on evil. You missed it because you were laughing at my Chewbacca impression. God's eyes are too pure to look on evil. He cannot tolerate wrong. God is so holy. And sometimes our vision of holiness is religiosity. But holiness is innocence and purity. Changes the game, am I right? It's innocence and purity. He's too pure to look on evil. He cannot tolerate wrong. Okay, here's the second thing. Remember, we're seeing some things from God's perspective here. The son was forsaken so that we could be forgiven. He was forsaken so that you and I could be forgiven. I often wondered this when he turned his head away from Jesus. Who was he looking at? When he turned his head away from looking at Jesus. I wonder if he was looking in our direction. I wonder if he began to look at us. First Peter, chapter two, verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, meaning the cross, so that we may die. We might die to sins and live for righteousness. Righteousness is right living, not according to people, but according to God. In other words, God's right way of living so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And by his wounds, you have been healed. The cross is much more than a story. The cross is the way. And it's so graphic that we can't see how that can be the way. But because of the graphic nature of the cross, we have to understand the terrible nature of our sin. Grab this today. We have to understand how ugly sin is in our lives. Sin is what destroys people. Sin is what destroys families. Sin is what destroys countries. Sin is what destroys relationships. It's sin. It's doing wrong. It is thinking of self above others. This this is sin. And when we do that, we sin against God. And that's not God turning his back on us. That's us turning our backs on God. My way is better than yours. That's what sin is. When I choose my way over God's way, I am sinning. When we say things like, well, I don't agree with that in the Bible. That's just not how it is anymore. That's low-level thinking. I can't see five different states of my life from that perspective. All I see is the moment that I'm in. Are you grabbing this today? And so when I'm in that moment, watch this, it just feels right. And if it just feels right, I feel like I ought to do it. But if I had a higher perspective and I saw what was right there knocking on my door, if I did that, I would realize I don't need to do that. Or if I saw that God had something so great for me right there, and I realized if I did it, I would forfeit something so great, I wouldn't do it. Sin. Sin has a price tag. In Romans, we learn that the wages, in other words, the price tag or the payment, the paycheck of sin is death. Did you hear that? The paycheck, the payment, the wage. Think about your wage and what you make as income. The income from sin brings death. That's the price tag. That's the punishment for our sin you ever thought man God is strict It depends on what lens you look at it through I'd encourage you to listen to last week's message it does if I looked at the lens of who God is through some educators that I had in my life God would be the meanest thing in the world same thing with parents We would just assume that God is like that and that it's all rules. I need you to know that God isn't looking to throw another rule at you. God's looking at trying to create a relationship with you. That's what he's really after. And the relationship will take care of bringing you to the place of perspective that you see that the relationship works way better than the rules ever did. Because the love makes you want to do good. Come on. That's the power of the gospel, my friends. So watch this. There's punishment that comes for our sins. And God knows, I don't have to punish everybody. I will have to wipe out all of mankind. There's verses like John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, for God so loved the world, talking about you and me, by the way, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him, whoever would just trust in him, would not perish, but would have eternal life. God said, I can't wipe them all out. I love them too much. And so what happens is he sends Jesus, hear this, he sends Jesus as our substitute. In other words, I'm supposed to punish you But I love you so much that I'm going to send my son, whom I love and I'm well pleased, who is perfect and has never done anything wrong, to come and take your place, to come and take your punishment so that I could forgive you. See, forgiveness isn't just letting you slide. There's a price to pay for wrongdoing. Listen, if you're a young person in here and you do wrong and you get busted by your parents and they don't do anything about it, it's not that they're just not doing anything about it because chances are they're paying the price. Get in a car wreck and just total your car out. Don't do that, but if you did, total your car out and they just say, hey, we love you, we're glad you're alive, stay safe. And then gave you a whole new car, you think, well, that didn't cost anything. Yes, it did. Somebody had to pay for the damage. You just got some good parents who paid for it. Others others of us in here, we we didn't have that. (laughs) Am I right? It's always fun to hear the amen on stuff like that. Jesus is our substitute. You ever heard this phrase? He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You ever heard that before? He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He's the pure, innocent, spotless Lamb That is sacrificed, which was very graphic, by the way, for our wrongdoings. Meaning, he didn't deserve the punishment. He's perfect. We are the ones who deserve the punishment, but yet Jesus takes it for us. How many of you are thankful for Jesus? And so watch this. Because of his sacrifice. Because he willfully went to the cross to die for our sins. You and I can be forgiven for all of our sins. And because of that, we can be in right standing with God. Because he died on the cross and paid for everything that we've done wrong. Now we stand before God and God no longer sees us as guilty He sees us as innocent, not because of what we've done, but because the bill has been paid by his son. And so the debt is taken care of. We're no longer in debt. Are you hearing this today? And I think we're so used to operating from a place of debt that we don't know how to act when we're debt free and we wind up in debt all over again. Not just financially. So Jesus, his suffering on the cross pays the punishment, pays the price of our sin. And God's plan was being fulfilled. Watch this. God's plan was being fulfilled through Christ's suffering. Sometimes we think God's plans and the fulfillment of it comes with success. And it comes through these big, massive, exciting moments. Sometimes God's plans for your life will come through moments of suffering. That child that you have came through suffering. Men, you don't know. We don't know. Just ask a mama in here. She will tell you what labor was like. She labored and then the blessing came. There was a suffering that took place. And this is why it's so important we talk about this because our perspective is so, is so, is so, is so, so horizontal. Like, I, I don't understand why God would let me suffer. Like working out at the gym, I don't know why it's so hard to lift this. No pain, no gain. Am I painting this picture of God being a painful God? No, but he can handle pain. And he can help you endure some pain, Amen? Amen? I wonder how different our lives would be if we could just see the Father's perspective of our life. Like if we can see what God sees for us, how differently we would live. Think about that. If I could just see how God's got it laid out, just a glimpse, I don't have to see it all. Just take me up to the mountain, let me see a little bit more than what I see now. It would change how we live day to day. It would change the direction. It would change our plans, I believe. It would change our priorities. I think it would change our budget. I think it would change our attitude. I think it would knock out a lot of the fears that we have allowed to prevail. I think it would put us in a place to begin to use wisdom instead of just listening to the common theme of our friends. Come on, I really do. I really think if we, if we really, really had a glimpse of God's plan and understood his perspective, it would set us on a course of living that would lead us to places of righteousness. And we would be able to stand even in moments of temptation and not fall. We would be able to stand in places of confusion and not become weary. I really believe if we saw his perspective, we would live differently. This is why it's so important that we live a lifestyle, watch this, of seeking God. Because when I seek God and I find him, I begin to see it how he sees it. Because you can see something and misinterpret it. But when I see it how he sees it, it changes everything. So let's bring it down. What to remember when you're in those places of God, why? When you just don't understand what to do, what to remember. Here's the first thing. I think the first thing to always remember, no matter what, and this is so obvious, is God is good. God is good. We've been talking about it all morning long. We deserve the punishment. Come on. We deserved to be punished for our sins. Some of you especially, am I right? Some crazy people in here. Some of you are like, yeah, you too, bro. I know. This is, again, where the question comes up. If God is so good, why do bad things happen? And I've learned this. It's not because God isn't good. It's because people aren't good. People aren't good. And those people are people just like us. Let's not become so mighty that we think they have the problem and not us. Because we're all capable of crazy somebody's going to tweet that today and you got to have a person in mind people make some awful decisions to hurt others and do wrong and it affects so many of us think about that i think about how many people who are sitting in this room because of a decision that maybe your father made it hurts you maybe it was a sibling Maybe it was a child. Maybe it was just another person that you don't even know that made a decision to do something that was so wrong and it affected your life. Still. A lot of times we try to stay away from those talks. Don't even like it when I bring it up. But it is a reality. Because people do some things that are wrong and it affects other people. Have you ever done something wrong that affected somebody else? You ever made a decision? You ever pulled out in front of somebody and they ran into you and you got mad at them for hitting you? Think about this stuff. All of those different situations, this is where we're starting to conclude our our perspectives of people. This is where we conclude even our perspectives of God. That's not where we find out who God is. Not from people. We find out who God is by having a relationship with him, amen? Like, you could talk about somebody, but until you meet them, you don't really know them, right? You don't know. But we're quick to judge, and one of the people that we're most quick to judge is God. And I believe if we really got to know him, we would see, God, you are so good, man. Like, you are really, really good. I don't know why I'm calling you man, but you're good. Mark chapter 10, verse 18 says, no one is good except God alone. There's some good people out there. You know how we say that? Be around a family that's lost someone. And they say he was a good person. She was a good person. They were good. We're good people, right? You like to think that about you and your family. But good people do wrong things too. Good students do wrong things too. Listen, I was a good student, but I was cramming. Thursday nights. Am I right? Anybody anybody ever been there? It's cramming. Some of you cramming right now. In In our own eyes, we're good. Maybe even we've gotten other people to believe that we're good. But here's the thing. God sees who we really, really are. He pays that much attention to us. He sees who we really, really are. We're not as good as we think. God's so much better. Here's why I know that. I probably wouldn't have had that kind of mercy on people who have done wrong. That's how I know I'm not that good. Right? Like God just says, all right, let's forgive them. Are you serious? Do you realize what you're doing? Like, no, don't forgive them. Wipe them out. <laughs> Old Testament God, let's go back. Let's go back. Numbers and stuff. Let's go to the book of Numbers. That was a pretty was a strong book right there. Come on, Deuteronomy. Wipe them out. Read verses. Like, if you have an anger problem, you read verses in Psalms, like where David says, like, crush them and all their family, like, and stuff like that. I know it just sounds so wicked till you get mad at somebody, or till somebody pulls out in front of you. Seriously, like, this, it, that tells us that even though we think we're good, we're capable of some wicked stuff. We think these thoughts. What if God's thoughts towards you changed? Because of something wrong that you have done. I don't, I can't love you anymore because you did that. Wow. And the reason I bring that up is because we've done that. Someone's done us wrong. I can't love them anymore. I can't forgive them. That's how we know that we're not as good as God is because God is like, I still love him and I'll still forgive him. And that's why it says that love doesn't keep score in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's why it says that. So God is good. Can you say that with me this morning? God is good. Look at your neighbor and tell him, God is good. Do you believe it today? God is good. Amen. God is good. I don't feel like you're excited about it like I am. All right. God is good. Here's the second thing that you need to know. When you're in these questionable situations, the second thing you need to know that God is for me. Hold on now before you get all excited and motivated. God isn't always for your way of doing it, though. Come on. Got to make sure. Because some of you get so excited about your aggression and the things that you want to do. Well, God's for me. Let's go for it. Calm down, Zoro. Calm down. God is for me. This is one of the most challenging things for us to wrap our minds around. Some people, they hate it whenever you say stuff like, you can't say that. You're putting God's approval on people's lifestyle. No, I am not. No, I am not. Listen, I have teams that I am passionate about, and I am for them. But I do not agree with the defense that we played on Friday night against Michigan State. I don't agree with it. I was so angry. I was not for that, but I still love my team. Are you grabbing this today? I'm just trying to relate to some men in here. Ladies, they grab it a little bit better. But I I, I was so angry. Change the defense. It's not working. That guy is wide open for the three. Maybe I'm venting right now, but bear with me. I was for the team, but I wasn't for their performance. God is for us, but he's not always like, hey, I like what you're doing, keep doing it. Because if we're sinning, God is like, stop. Stop. But God is for you. Amen? He's for you. And guilt and shame make this so hard to believe. Same thing with resentment and bitterness. It makes us hard to believe that God is actually for me. God can't be for me because I've done so much wrong. Yes, you've done so much wrong, but he's made a way for me. Did you hear this? Even though I've done wrong, he made a way for me. He is for me. In other words, he's trying to get me to the place of righteousness, and only he can make the way for me. So if he's making the way, even though I'm self-destruct, and he's still making a way for me so he can save me, he's obviously for me. Can we be convinced of that, that God is for me. And I know that he is for me because he proved it when he chose us over his only son. Wow. Looked away from his son so he can look at us. He's for you. No matter where you're at in here today, he is for you. Watch this in Romans eight thirty-one. If God is for us who can be against us. Such a good verse. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. He, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? This is the Bible. This isn't just me trying to make up something to make you feel better about your life. This is the truth of the gospel, amen? That God is for us. I feel more excited than you are about this. God is for us. He's for us and he's relentlessly pursuing you through the Holy Spirit to save you, to forgive you, to heal you, to bring you to the place of innocence and right standing and to walk out into the plans that he has for you. That's what he is after. He is for you. He's not trying to keep you from it. He's trying to bring you to it. That's what he's trying to do. Getting fired up. Fired up, man. God is good. God is for me. Just common statements, but when you understand what they mean, they motivate you. Last one is this, God is with me. Come on. He's not just from a distance and, and, and delegating. Yeah, go ahead. He's like, let me come with you. Let me walk with you through the valleys. Let me walk with you through the fire. Let me walk with you through the flood. Let me be with you in the chaos. Come on, can I come with you? Do you need some to ride shotgun? And I know that's where the whole God is my co-pilot argument comes up. Get off of it. It's an old bumper sticker. It's over. It's done. He said, i want to come with you. I want to be with you each step along the way so that when you have thoughts of getting off track, I can help you stay on. Come on. He said, I'm with you. I'm with you through it all. And some of us in here today, you feel like God forgot about you, that he's not with you. I want you to know that God is right there with you. There are people I don't even know that are here today. I may not see them, but it doesn't mean that they aren't here. They're probably working with our kids back there on the playground. They're here. Trust me, your kids aren't going crazy. So we know they're here. Am I right? You're sitting there saying, you call my kids crazy? No, I'm not felt like I needed to say this today. He is the father that stays. This is so good. He is the father that stays. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. He's sticking with you. Will we stick with him? I want to finish the story of the prodigal son. He's living in his father's house and he had it really good. And he asked his father, can you go ahead and give me all of my inheritance now? Somehow this father was so gracious that he gave it all to him. And as soon as he gave it to him, he took off. And he began to live this lifestyle. And everything the father gave him, this is so important, everything the father gave him, he squandered. I need to give you context. Every blessing of the father, he squandered it. And he found himself in a place where one moment in his life, he was so blessed. He now found himself in a place where he was a beggar. He had it all. but He left his father. His father never left him. He left his father. And he finds himself eating from a pit trough. He went from eating at a table with his father to eating in a pig trough. And one day he came to a census, and this is what he said. I would be better off being a slave in my father's house than be a beggar where I am. I'm going home to my father. So he begins the journey home. Go read it. It's in Luke says, the father saw him from a distance. You know what that means? The father was looking for him. He brought the son home. And the first thing he did, this is so powerful. He said, kill the fattened calf. And if you do any Bible study at all, you will know that killing the calf was a sacrifice. For the wrongdoing. Old Testament. Kill the fat calf. My son was lost. And now is found. He was dead. And he's now alive. The father. Even though the son turned his back on the father. The father was still working on his behalf. He welcomed the son home. Watch this. Put the coat on him. This wasn't just any coat. This was a coat that identified him with the family. He thought he was just going to come home and just be a servant. But the father is treating him like a son. Get the ring. Put it on his finger. His family. There's so much in this story. You would assume Got to watch out for that boy he may do to you again. Treated him like a son. And they celebrated his homecoming. That's why the Bible says all of heaven rejoices when just one sinner repents because the father has been looking and there's people here today. You've been running and God has been looking for you. He's been looking. He's been searching. He left the 99 to find the one lost sheep. And the question today is, will you come home? Will you leave the place of begging for attention, begging for pleasure, begging for acceptance? begging for success. Can I keep going? Begging for all of these different things that we think that we will find and all the different places other than God. It's only found in Him. That's why in 1 Corinthians it says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even conceived the things that I have for those who love me. Today, the invitation is simple. Come home. Come home to the Father. You say, I oh, feel like he's forgotten about. He didn't forget. He didn't forget. He's searching. He's looking for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today, and you know, I've been running from God. I'm away from God. And today I need to come to him and come to the father and allow him to forgive me, knowing that Jesus took my sin on the cross, paid the price for it so I could be forgiven. Today, it's time for me to come home and surrender my heart, my life, my everything to Jesus and let him be my Lord and Savior. If that's you today and you know, this is this is your time. I want you real quick, would you slip up a hand? Don't wait, don't hesitate. This is your time. Anyone else? Hands are shooting up across the room. I see them, I see them. Anyone else? But say, Pastor, pray with me today. I am away from God. I've been running. Maybe you're a man in here and you've just been running from God. You know the truth, but you've been running. Today is time to come home. Today we want to pray all together with you. This isn't just a you thing, this is a we thing. And I want to ask us all this morning to pray this prayer together. Will you say this out loud, mean it with your heart. Say, dear Lord, thank you for loving me so much that you would make the payment for my sins. All the things that I've done wrong, you took care of it so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be free. And I know I'm not worthy, but you are. So I give you my life. I surrender my heart to you. Surrender my mind to you. And I give you my life. I choose today, this day, and every day to live my life your way. I trust you And I acknowledge that you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name.